this is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Welcome back, everybody. This is Liam Douglas with the Liam Photography Podcast, episode 62. So this week, I wanted to do something a little bit different, and it's because I've had a few people ask about it that have emailed me or hit me up on Facebook, and they wanted to know if I had done any episodes of my podcast pertaining to my personal photography project. Now, if you're not somebody that's been following my work for a while, um, I started a personal project, photography-related, uh, a few years ago. And I ran into some bumps along the way. I got into a bad car accident in 2015 and and spent a lot of time having surgeries and recovering and stuff like that that sidetracked me a lot. But anyways, the project is titled Forgotten Pieces of Georgia. And my goal with this project is to travel to all 159 counties in the state of Georgia and document all the abandoned small business buildings, factories, gas stations, stuff like that, that I'm able to find. Now, I'm doing this as a way to raise awareness to the plight of small businesses, not only in the state of Georgia, but in the United States as a whole, because this kind of thing is happening everywhere. Um, And what started the project is I was out driving the back roads one weekend looking for something interesting to shoot, and I came upon this small town called Sparta, Georgia. Now, Sparta, Georgia is located in Hancock County. It is actually the county seat. And a long time ago, uh, Sparta was the cotton capital of the world. And that changed after World War I with the bull weevil epidemic. And so the cotton industry died off quite a bit down there. And eventually, a furniture company came into town and bought the old cotton warehouse and started making furniture there, wooden furniture, you know, like kitchen tables, chairs, stuff like that. And it ran for quite a few decades in the old Sparta cotton warehouse, this furniture factory did. And then in the, I think it was the early 2000s, the furniture factory decided to move their operation down to Florida. And when they did, and the furniture factory was no longer there as the largest employer of people in Sparta, the town kind of became a ghost town. So on the main street in Sparta, which isn't called Main Street, it's actually Broad Street, there are 39 small business storefronts up and down Broad Street in downtown Sparta. And after the furniture factory left, most of those ended up going out of business. Uh, Today, there's only about six or seven storefronts that are still active in downtown Sparta. Now, it really broke my heart when I saw this because I come from a family, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and I came from a a large family of small business owners. My dad had his own small engine repair business when I was younger, Uh, Later, he got into his own janitorial business. My Uncle Rick has his own janitorial business, which he still runs to this day, and he's been very successful with. My grandmother was the general manager for a chain of fabric stores in Pennsylvania, 
And after they closed, she bought her own small restaurant in a town called Monroton. And she did that for quite a few years. And I myself, before I moved to Georgia, I had my own small business. I had my own computer shop where I did repairs, upgrades, custom computer builds, website design, network design and building, and so on and so forth. So it really broke my heart to see all of these abandoned small uh, storefronts in Sparta, all these small businesses that were now gone. And that's kind of where the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia was born. And I decided then and there I was going to travel to all 159 counties and document all of these buildings that I could find. And it's gone fairly well. I actually had a lot of the county shot, and I know I'm going to catch heck for this, especially being an IT person as well. Um, and I was saving all of my files on a mirrored RAID assembly, uh, mirrored RAID drive. So in other words, two disks, everything is written to both disks. If one fails, you still have everything. Well, unfortunately, I made the mistake of buying uh, a G drive system, which I didn't know at the time had been bought out by Western digital. I've never been a big fan of Western digital, uh, because they have a lot of problems with their hard drives. They used to be very high quality, but they're not so much anymore. And what had happened was my mirrored raid, both discs died at the same time, which is pretty much unheard of. So unfortunately, uh, being my mirror raid died, both drives died at the same time, I lost everything. Um, and at that time, I had 110 counties photographed. So that really sucked. But on the upside, uh, when I first started the project, I didn't at that time have a camera that had GPS, so I didn't have a way to geotag the photos. Um which I later did. I got the 6D and then the 6D Mark II, as well as the 1DX Mark II, which all had GPS in them, and I could geotag my images. But more recently, I decided to part with my three Canon DSLRs, which I mentioned in a previous episode, and I bought the Fujifilm GFX 50R, medium format mirrorless. Now, the GFX50R does not have GPS, which really sucks. I don't know why Fuji didn't bother with that. They didn't even give you the option in the firmware to attach a third-party GPS unit in the hot shoe and be able to use it. They want you to pair it with your smartphone, which to me is idiotic because it depletes the battery in the camera faster because it's got to maintain communications with your phone. It depletes your phone battery faster because your phone has to constantly communicate with the camera. It's just a lot of hassle. But I did want to have the higher detail in my images of shooting the project with the medium format mirrorless. So that is what I am doing now. I'm reshooting the project and I'm using my Fuji. And what I do is when I go out, I either geotag the buildings with my iPhone XS or I geotag them with my EOS R Canon camera with the Canon GPS unit mounted in the hot shoe. And that works great. That that works great for that. I wish I could do everything just in the in the GFX 50R, but like I said, I don't know why Fuji didn't have enough brains to think to at least include GPS capabilities in the wireless communications menu on the camera like so many other manufacturers do. The EOS R doesn't have GPS built in, but it still has the ability to use either Canon's or a third-party hot shoe mounted GPS unit. It has the GPS communications 
protocols in its software, in its firmware. So anyway, so I, I've started reshooting the project using my GFX 50R, and I really love the results I'm getting. And I'm primarily using the Venus Optics Laua 17mm F40D for landscaping. I love the nice wide angle of view, wide shots I can get with this lens. It was less than half the price of the Fuji 23mm. And if you know anything about the, the Fuji versus 35mm, the GFX system, uh, the 23mm Fuji land is a 17mm full frame equivalent, where my Laua 17mm lens is a 13.5mm full frame equivalent. So I get a much wider field of view with the, with the Laua lens than I do with the Fuji lens. So those are reasons why I went with the Laua, and I'm not afraid to use a manual lens, uh, manual focus, and manual aperture control. I started out in the film days before we had any automatic anything, so that's no big deal there. So the tail end of 2019, I was contacted um, on Instagram by a publisher that was interested in publishing the project as a photo history book. And I was pretty excited, so I wrote up my proposal and sent it over to them. And it took a little while to hear back from them because they had a lot of things going on at the tail end of 2019, you know, end of the year stuff that they had to do and so on and so forth. So anyways, this week I finally get an email from the president of the publishing company. And the publishing board has approved my book, idea. They've approved it. And I received my contracts and signed them and sent them back this week. So the Forgotten Beasts of Georgia is absolutely going to become a book. But more than that, I got thinking about this. I knew from the beginning I wanted to turn the project into a photo book of some kind. But as I mentioned a little bit ago, Georgia has 159 counties. That's a lot of counties and a lot of photos. And as I said, I try to document as many buildings as I can find in each county. Now, I don't realistically have the time to drive up and down every cow path and side road looking for buildings. I wish I did, but I have to work for a living as well. So it's my goal as I travel out to each county is to at least find a minimum of six good buildings that I can get in each county. It doesn't matter if it's in a city, if it's in a small town, if it's out in the middle of nowhere, like in Brooklyn, Georgia, does not matter. I want to have a minimum of six photos for each county. That's a lot of photos. So I realized pretty quickly that it would not be practical and would not do the project justice if I did the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia as a single photo book. So when the president of this publishing house contacted me and sent me my contracts this week, I let him know, as I had the previous person that contacted me from his company, but I don't believe the first gentleman passed the information off to the president, was I envisioned this being an eight-volume series of books. So I figured the best way to tackle this would be to break down the state into 20-county blocks and each 20-county block would be its own volume of the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia book series. And 
I sent this back to the president of the publishing house, and he was all for it. He's like, absolutely, we could absolutely publish all eight volumes for you. We'd be happy to do so. Um, and I told him that my goal, ideally, is to release two books a year. I'm hoping I can pull it off. We'll have to wait and see. Now, my first manuscript is due to them by June 30th of this year, which isn't going to be a problem. I'm well ahead of schedule to have that to them with plenty of time to spare. So look for the possibility of two books a year coming out. The first one is going to be Forgotten Pieces of Georgia, the Northwest Counties. And that's because I currently live on the west side of Atlanta. Uh, I'm on the western end of the state. So I decided I would start at the very tippy top of the state of Georgia along the Tennessee border, and I would start with those counties and work down and east at the same time and do a block of 20 for the first volume. And then, of course, I'll do the next block of 20 on the west side, and then I'll, you know, and so on and so forth, and I'll move towards the eastern end of the state as I go. So that is where the project is at currently. Now, a while back when I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in photography at the Art Institute, one of my professors, Jill Mott, who is a wonderful woman and a fantastic photographer, I made a post about her this week on my Instagram, on my Liam Photography Instagram. Uh, she's been a great educator, mentor, friend, collaborator. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady, and she's super talented. Her and her husband are really great people. I don't know her husband. Um, I know her, but I know of some of his work, and he's super talented as well. And so anyways, when I had one of my last classes with Jill before I graduated, we were building up our social media presence. And since I already had my Liam Photography website and social media accounts, she was really, she's been really into my Forgotten Pieces of Georgia projects. She absolutely loves it. So she encouraged me to build up the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia project, its online presence. So I did. I, I bought ForgottenPiecesOfGeorgia.com. I put up a website now. It has its own Instagram, its own Twitter, its own Facebook uh, page, and everything. So one of the things I did recently this week is I implemented MailChimp. Now, I'm only using the free version for now. And I added a section on the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia website in the menu at the top of the screen where you can click subscribe and a little MailChimp box will pop up and you can enter your email address. And this is so the people that are following this project and, and waiting for me to release the first book so they can buy it because I've had a lot of people hit me up about wanting to buy the books. You can enter your email address, submit it, and you'll go into an email distribution list that I'm not going to sell to anybody. I'm not going to give it out to anybody. This is strictly for the project only, so you don't have to worry about your email address being compromised or sold off. So you can submit your email address. Now, what that'll do is I'm going to start sending out weekly emails just once a week, letting you know, hey, these are the counties I went to this week and shot. I'm giving you a status update. Here's any accompanying YouTube video that I released, and there'll be a link to the YouTube video as well, and you can check it out. It will also be my way to let fans of the project know when the first book goes on sale and is available for purchase. Now, the other thing I did on the site this week is I added a tip line. 
So as I mentioned before, I try the best I can to find all of the buildings I possibly can in each county, but it's, of course, not practical. I try to do as much as I can, but Georgia is a massive state. I'm doing, I'm funding this whole project out of my own pocket, and I'm not complaining about that. This is a passion project. Um, if you'd like to make a donation, you can contact me, and, and we'll figure something out. Anyways, um, but I, I'm sure there's buildings out there that I'm going to miss. So I created a tip line. Um, I actually had an extra uh, number on my AT&T account that wasn't currently being used for anything, and I hadn't shut it off yet. Uh, so I decided to repurpose that number for the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia. So now, if you live anywhere in the state of Georgia, in any of the counties, any of the towns, and you, have, you know about an amazing abandoned small business building that you think I should include in the project, you can get a hold of me via that tip line. Now, I'm not going to answer the phone directly because I've got multiple lines. I've got a lot of stuff going on. And I'm not saying that to discourage you because I do keep track of that line. I just am not always able to answer it. I may answer it when you call or, or text a tip. I may not. It just depends on how busy I am at the time. But you can call and leave a voicemail or you can text a tip for a building. If you could, please include the address of the building, if you know it, or send the, uh, in a text message, you could send the GPS coordinates. Uh, that would be great as well. But the number you can, the, the, the tip line number is 770-605-5549. Now, you can also leave a tip via the contact form on the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia website where you fill in your name, your email address, your message, you answer a, a little anti-spam problem there and submit it. So you can do it that way as well. You can also uh, leave information on any tips and stuff like that on the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia Facebook page. So you can contact me through multiple uh, channels uh, with tips and information on buildings. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's YouTube, and now there's the tip line as well. Now, originally, as I was working on this project, I was shooting in RAW, and I was converting the images to black and white because I liked the contrast. I liked the dramatic look of black and white, but my publisher prefers the images be in color. So I've decided I'm just going to leave the images in color. And so if you go to the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia website, you'll notice on the loading landing page that the first image you see for the category of gas stations is now in full color. And if you click the button to view the gas stations portfolio, all of those images are in color, but I have not finished the entire site this way. So at the moment, um, when you go to the website, there's three portfolio categories or three subject categories for the project. There's gas stations, there's stores, and then there's miscellaneous, which can be factories and other things. Or miscellaneous commercial is what it is. So right now, miscellaneous in stores is still in black and white. I haven't converted them yet, uh, replaced the black and white images with their color versions, but I have already on the gas stations. Um, so you do see color when you first go to the page. Now, what I, the other thing I wanted to get to is this week, in addition to signing the contract, uh, finally, for the book, or a series of books, I should say, 
I also have more recently, like I said, started going out it, when I can. Once a week, I go out. I take a day off from my full-time real estate gig, or if it's a day where they don't have jobs for us, then that, if the weather's good, that ends up being my day. Um, so I, I've gotten back into the habit of going out every week and shooting for this project. And I've recently done several of the counties. I've already done Cobb, Cherokee, Douglas, Paulding. I, I've done... Uh, uh, Chattooga, Catoosa, Murray, Whitaker, and a couple other counties. Um, but when I was starting out in the northwest corner, I was doing the stills and geotagging them. But at the time, I wasn't shooting video for my YouTube. And I know I'm kicking myself for that because I started the YouTube a year ago and I, I put a bunch of videos on it at first uh, over the course of the first six months of the first year. Um, and then I kind of fell into a, uh, uh, laziness. I don't know what you want to call it, where I wasn't shooting video when I should have been. So I started that back up this week. So yesterday, uh, I didn't have any work for my real estate job. So I went up to Floyd and Chattooga counties and I was hoping to get Gordon as well, but I ran out of time because I departed late because I didn't, my work was up in the air at the time. So I didn't get out until late, and I ran out of time. Uh, so I did not get the Gordon, but I will. And there is a new YouTube video for Floyd County. I've already posted that one. Next week, I'll probably put up the one for Chattooga County, or maybe I'll put it up this weekend. I may do uh, two videos a week or something like that to kind of make it up to my followers and subscribers. And I will put a link to that video in the show notes. Uh, so that you can check it out. Now, please, 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 please don't start flaming me about how I suck as a videographer and everything else. I'm a one-man show. I'm doing all of this by myself. I can't afford, like other YouTubers, to hire videographers and professional editors and all this stuff because my YouTube channel just isn't big. I got 109 subscribers. It's not making any money. I can't afford to hire all these third-party people to make my stuff polished and, and top-notch. And I know I can learn the stuff myself, and I and I will as I go along, but I just have limited amount of time that I can dedicate to learning all of this new stuff to get to be an expert at B-roll. I do shoot B-roll footage. You know, I'm not Peter McKinnon, and I'm not Frono's Photo, and I'm not Tony and Chelsea Northrup. I don't have a staff of people to shoot high-quality professional video for my YouTube channel and do the professional editing and all that. And I'm not knocking any of those folks. They've had their channels for a considerable amount of time. They've got millions of followers. They're making crap tons of money off their YouTube channels. So more power to them. I don't begrudge any of them. I love their content. I love to watch the content of all those folks that I just named. I really do. And I've reached out to Fro as well as Tony and Chelsea via email. And sometimes they get back to me. Sometimes they don't. Peter McKinnon, I've tried to contact him. He totally blows me off. Uh, so that's neither here nor there. Um, but anyways, this week I went out and I did Floyd and Chattooga County and I got some really cool buildings. So today or yesterday, I mean, as I, as I arrived in Floyd County, the first thing I came across and I was driving along a County highway was this abandoned building that looked pretty, pretty bad, uh, that was sitting on the right hand side of the road and all it had, it had a smashed gate. It had chain link fencing around it. And it at one time had one of those, um, gates on like the roller wheels, a big wide gate on roller wheels that was metal and that was all crushed and destroyed laying off to the side. 
Um, and the sign out front, all it said was Terry's used parts and auto repair. And I was like, man, this is a fantastic building. I've got to shoot this one. And so I got out and I captured it. And I went a little ways up the road and I found a little mini mart and I stopped there because I was like, okay, I got to get some information on the history of this building. That's the whole idea behind the project is to not only shoot the buildings, but to try to document the building's history as much as I can. And I have to do that based on what I can Google research, uh, what I can find out from locals at the time, if there's anybody on hand whose brain I can pick, and reaching out to the county historical societies. So I stopped at this mini mart a little ways up the road, and I found a, a gentleman that was nice enough to, to spend a few minutes to talk to me and, and tell me a little bit about this Terry's Used Auto Parts. So it turns out that Terry's Used Auto Parts was actually a junkyard. And it was owned by a gentleman named William Terry and his mom. They actually had a couple of businesses there. They had the junkyard, and his mom also had a general store many, many moons ago. And um, one of the cool things about it is from what this gentleman was telling me, he worked there when he was 16, and he's now in his uh, 60s. And he was telling me one of the cool things was uh, his uh, t- William Terry's mom not only had a general store next to the junkyard, but she would extend credit to locals, you know, so they could buy groceries, dry goods, you know, various things like that, which is really cool. And I was telling him, you know, I said, yeah, I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania, and we had stores once upon a time that would do that as well, you know, that would extend credit to locals, uh, to people in the community. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I was grateful to him, and he told me that William Terry is listed in the phone book. I could call and talk to him some more about the the property, which I more than likely will. Now, he did tell me that Mr. Terry is in his 90s, so uh, I'm hoping I'm able to get a little more history out of him on the building. Because it was a really cool property. I mean, it looks sad today. If you, you'll, you'll see it in the YouTube video. It's the first property I came to, so it's, it's the first building in the video. And I included not only the, the footage of me in front of the building talking to the camera, but also one of the stills I took of the building is included in the video. Uh, the second building that I found was a couple of miles down the road from Terry's. And it was just a small, white, nondescript building. Um, fairly small. It had bars across the one big window in the front. And it looked like at one time it had a gas pump island as well. And then on the left-hand side, there was doors for men's and women's bathrooms. So it looked like it was just a small gas station. And, uh, you know, it might have sold, you know, packs of gum and cigarettes or something like that. So that was the second one that I found that was a cool little building. Now, the the third one I came upon, I think I kind of screwed myself up. It was a marathon gas station. And I got out and I shot my video footage and I shot the property and everything. And then as I was driving around the property to leave, I noticed a sign on the one window and I got out to read it. And I don't think this is actually an abandoned gas station. I think it's a new one that hasn't opened yet uh, because some of the paperwork that was taped up in the window was from at the end of 2019. So I may have flubbed up there, but I wanted to make sure I didn't miss it in case it was an abandoned building. Uh, The address on that property was 3113 Rockmart Highway, Rome, Georgia. So it may be just getting ready to open. And if it is, you know, I apologize. I'm not trying to hurt the owner of the property or anything like that. I just 
thought it was an abandoned marathon station. Originally, I wasn't 100% sure. And I know what you're thinking. If you watch the video and look at the stills, you're like, well, everything looks new. Why would you think it was abandoned? You'd be surprised how many times I found gas stations that looked like they were newly built and then immediately abandoned because finance, you know, the, uh, the owner went bankrupt or something. Who knows? You just never know because I have run into those where, you know, I, I, I'm like, man, is this really an abandoned gas station? It looks fantastic. It looks like it was built and never used. And I'll take the pictures, and then I'll go around town, and I'll be talking to the locals, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 somebody, yeah. They spent millions of dollars building that, but they went bankrupt before they opened, and it's been sitting empty ever since. So it does happen. It does happen. <laughs> okay, so the next thing that I found uh, was in downtown Rome. And it was an abandoned restaurant that was a combination of an A&W root beer and a Long John Silvers. Now, I thought this was a little bit unusual to see an A&W root beer and Long John Silvers together. Now, not the concept of two restaurants in the same building. That's being done. That's been done for a while now. You've got KFC and Taco Bell together and, and several others. And, and the whole thing behind that is, is generally the restaurants are owned by the same parent company. In the case of KFC and Taco Bell, they're both owned by Pepsi-Cola. Um, so they combine the restaurants into a single building so they're not paying for two different buildings in the same town. Um, they consolidate everything. They have both full-blown restaurants with drive through service in the same building. And sometimes if it's a bigger one, they'll have separate employees on the KFC side and separate ones on the Taco Bell side. Sometimes one set of employees handles both sides. So it just depends. But it's a cost thing. Uh, you know, to keep their overhead down, which I can understand that. But anyways, I went next door and I spoke to the gentleman that owned the jewelry store next door. And he said that they only closed about a year ago. It was about a 2019 spring that they closed that particular restaurant. And he, from what he could find out, I guess the gentleman that owns the property lives out in California. So right now the town's not sure what he's going to do with the building. It's been sitting empty for a little over a year. Um, but it's a prime location right on the main drag in Rome, Georgia. So they figure it's only a matter of time before somebody else will come along and want to lease the building and open another restaurant in there, but we'll just have to wait and see. But while I was talking to the gentleman at the jewelry store about that Long John Silvers, he told me that the other Long John Silvers, which was on, over on, across town on Shorter Avenue, had also closed last year. Um, so he told me about that. I went over there and captured that one as well. And I'm not sure if Long John Silver's as a restaurant is going under or if they're just downsizing the company, if they're eliminating stores because they're not as profitable. I don't know what the story is. And I'm not saying that to bash Long John Silver's or whoever owns them. Um, I just don't know. I don't know. But it is kind of odd that two Long John Silver's restaurants in the same city closed the same time, uh, both of them last spring. So who knows? It could be just consolidating. It could be that they're going the way of the dodo bird. I honestly don't know at this time. I may reach out to Long John Silvers and ask them about it and see what I can find out. But as I was heading out of Rome, I found one last building, and this is leaving Floyd County and headed to Chattooga County. The last building I shot... Um, was sitting along a county highway, and it was called La Cuchita Mexican Grill. And it was a nice build, a good-sized building, but it definitely looked like it had been closed for a little while now. 
and there happened to be an Italian restaurant next door, so I stopped over there to ask about the Mexican restaurant to use the facilities and buy me something to drink because I was on the road all day. And the waitress that I spoke to said, yeah, she said they closed down uh, and moved out of that building and they moved more into downtown Rome at a new location, but then they were shut down by the health department or something. She didn't know all the details, so... Uh, but that building's been sitting empty for five or six years now, the one that I found. So that's where it was with uh, with what I found so far in Floyd County. Now, next, I went up to Chattooga County on the way up to Somerville, which Somerville is the county seat for Chattooga County. And uh, the first thing I found there was a small brown wooden building right in downtown Somerville on a side street. And uh, it was definitely abandoned. Um, There's nothing, you know, currently actively going on there. There was no signage of any kind. When I looked in the windows, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to trespass on anybody's property or anything like that. I looked just for curiosity to try to determine if the building is definitely no longer being used as an active business or not. So I looked in the windows and from the looks of what was inside the building, there was a lot of, of stuff stored in there. But there were also some decent-sized pieces of equipment that looked like it might have at one time been some sort of custom metal fabrication shop. So that's all I know on that one. I asked around some of the locals in the area, and nobody could give me a definitive answer, even on how long ago it closed, let alone what they definitely did or the name of the business there. So that one I got kind of a little bit stuck on. I'm going to have to research that one a little bit more. Um. But the next building I photographed in Somerville used to be a hair salon. And uh, when I went up the street to a little computer repair shop to ask about that building, uh, the gentleman had told me, the older gentleman in the computer shop told me it closed quite a few years ago. Uh, But a local resident recently bought the building and she's planning to open some sort of Christmas store at the end of 2020. I guess her husband uh, plays Santa every year for the town their Christmas parade and stuff like that and, you know, take your kids to have their picture taken with Santa and all that good stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. But the other thing he told me about, and he pointed right out the window of the computer shop diagonally across the street, was the next building I got. And the building is an old bank and it was called First Loans. And it's right in the corner of town, right at the red light, the intersection between two of the main streets. And, uh, And I was asking him about that one, and he said, well, yeah, it was a bank. Right now, somebody's storing stuff in there, but we don't know what or who it is or anything. Um, And I asked him, I said, well, how long ago did the bank close? And he's like, well, I don't know a definitive number to give you. He said, but I was in my early teens, like 11, 12 years old when it closed, and I'm 62 now. So it's been closed for quite about 50 years. Uh, And as I walked by the side of the building, where the bank drive through window used to be, and you could see the backside of the teller counter spaces. I could tell this bank had been closed for quite a while because the the little uh, adding machines or registers, or nowadays in every bank, there are computer terminal that the tellers have. They weren't in those days, of course. I could tell those machines were definitely from the 50s, just from looking at them. Uh, but it was a really cool building, and I made sure I got some footage of that one as well. Uh, video and stills footage. That was a really, really awesome, awesome find. And it was great that the gentleman at the computer shop was able to share some of the building's history with me. 
the next building I found in Somerville was a small nondescript gas station slash convenience store. Uh, none of the locals could remember if it was affiliated with any particular gas brand like Sitgo or Shell or anything like that. There was no signage to indicate that. The colors were kind of generic. You know how a lot of times if it's an old Exxon station, it'll be one color pattern. If it's our color palette, if it's a Sitgo, it's another color palette, BP, and so on. It didn't seem to follow any major oil company's color palette for gas stations. So I have no idea what it was, um, but it closed about 10, 15 years ago, and it's listed as being for sale or lease according to the sign in the window. Um, the next building I found was right next door to the small gas station, and it was an abandoned Hardy's restaurant. Now, I, I try to keep this restrict the project restricted mostly to small businesses, and you're saying, well, Hardy's isn't a small business. They're a national chain. Yes, they are, but those restaurants are franchise stores. So it is a small business because it's owned by somebody in the community locally, or at least it was at one time. So I did capture that one as well. That had been closed for about 15 years as well from what the locals were telling me. Um, they're hoping that someday somebody will buy it and, and fix it up and reopen it as a restaurant, or possibly it'll just get bulldozed at some point and make room for something else. Now, the final building that I found in Somerville for Chattooga County was right up the road from the Hardee's, and it was an abandoned, another abandoned restaurant. It was called Armstrong's Restaurant. And it had to have been a barbecue joint because the signage on the front included a pig on each end of the building on the front facade. And um, that's generally for barbecue joints. You know, they sell pork barbecue, chicken barbecue. Sometimes if you get lucky, which is rare in Georgia, it sucks. Uh, you'll find beef brisket, but not very, <laughs> not very often in Georgia, which really bums me out. Uh, but not to bore you with that. Um but that one, again, uh, closed about 20 years ago. I'm going to do more research on it and see what else I can find out, see if maybe I can get a hold of the Armstrongs and talk to them a little bit about it, and we'll take it from there. But that is this week's episode of the Liam Photography Podcast, episode 62, also technically episode one of the Forgotten Pieces of Georgia Project episodes. And I'm probably going to start doing Forgotten Pieces of Georgia episodes every now and then as part of the Liam Photography Podcast, just because I've had so many people ask me, hey, do you have any podcast episodes on your project? I'd really like to listen to those. So I believe I'm going to make it a regular part of the mix. And that way I don't bore people so much with all of the camera and lens news and reviews and rumors and all that stuff all the time. The interviews are fantastic. They've been hugely popular. And I'm hoping that these episodes on the project will be popular as well. All I can do is wait and see. This one will get posted today, and we'll see how the audience responds to it. And hopefully it'll be a positive thing, and I'll continue doing these on a regular basis for my audience. Uh, but again, if you want to head on over to the ForgottenPiecesOfGeorgia.com website, Again, you can subs uh, click the subscribe button and submit your email address to be notified when new content comes out each week, including any YouTube videos. And you will also be the first notified when the first volume goes on sale of the book series. And again, if you have any tips or information on any abandoned small business buildings in the state of Georgia, if you live in one of the counties and one of the cities in Georgia, 
and you know of a great building that you'd like to see included in the project, and especially if you can help provide some of the history for that building, please don't be afraid to call or text 770-605-5549. All right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this week. I want to thank all of my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and anywhere else that you might be listening to the show. Also, please check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. You can join the group. It is a private group. You only have to answer one question in the join, and that is the name of the host of the show. That's myself, Liam, or you can put Liam Douglas. I will also accept the name of any of my past guests within the past year, which is Jill Mott, John Harvell, Ellie Cat, the model, Ruben, um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, and Jeff Harmon from the Master Photography and Photo Taco Podcast. I apologize, Jeff. Please don't shoot me for that. I had a brief brain fart there and forgot your name. I am so sorry. Um, also, remember, I did mention this a few episodes ago. I am hoping at some point in the near future to have Brent Bergram on the show as well. He's also on the Master Photography Podcast. He's one of the hosts on that show. And he also is the host of the fantastic Latitude Photography Podcast. I encourage you to check out both Master Photography as well as Latitude and the Photo Taco Podcast. All of them are fantastic shows, and Brent and Jeff and the others are really, really fantastic people. They're very responsive, and they're always happy to help out a fellow photographer. All right, I will see you again in another seven days for episode 63.